You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hi, everyone. This is Station F, the podcast. I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. In this episode, we're going to talk about data and specifically COVID-related data. Why? Well, on June 4th, Station F and 120 partner VC funds released a comprehensive study on the impact and opportunities of COVID-19 on startups. We knew from the beginning of the crisis that there would be a huge impact on startups, but this really allowed us to dig a little bit deeper with some concrete numbers. We looked at five primary geographies, the US, UK, France, Germany, and Israel, and various development stages and industries. I'll be honest, some of the numbers actually really surprised me. We'll get a chance to try and make sense of all this with our guests. So this week we have Pierre Entremont, who is co-founder and partner at FIRST. This is a Paris-based VC fund. We have Marguerite de Taverneau, who is an investor at Cherry Ventures, a Berlin-based fund. And Chris Smith, who is managing partner at Playfair Capital, a London-based firm. Obviously, Station F isn't the only one releasing studies. We're seeing a lot of great things in the ecosystem. So a little shout out as well to our friends at Deal Room and Founders Factory. All right, well, let's get right to it with our guest this week. All right, Pierre, Marguerite, and Chris, it's great to have you with us. Hey, Roxanne. Great to be here. Hi, Roxanne. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super. All right. Well, there were a lot of numbers in the study. Uh, we may not get a chance to discuss them all, but I wanted to highlight some of the key figures. Uh, first, seems that overall things are not so bad. We had 78% of startups say that they would hire again by the end of the year. Roughly 50% actually hired since March, which could potentially be considered the peak of the crisis in some of the different geographies. Um, and we only have 6% of companies that are actually considering closing down altogether. I found these numbers relatively positive and quite surprising. What do you guys think of them? Chris, I'd love to hear your opinion. So look, I think, um, first of all, I think it is you know positive news that um, you know the majority, the vast majority of startups are looking to hire. And I think that's our experience uh, at Playfair. It's our experience in, in the UK as well. Um, I think there's probably a note of caution that's specific to the UK, which is that we have something called the furlough scheme in place, which basically means that companies can uh, put people to one side and the government pays their salary for a period of time. Um, that is coming to an end uh, and tapering down. I think it's due to end in October. And so it'll be interesting to see the statistics then. Uh, my hope is that those furloughed employees come back into full employment, but there is a risk that some of those um, result in layoffs. Um, but yeah, overall, a, a reason to be optimistic. And I think um, certainly there are probably a couple of our companies that have uh, had to reduce their headcount, but the vast majority are actually hiring right now. Yeah, I think actually a lot of geographies, uh, a lot of the countries in the study are experiencing something very similar with the, the furlough support from government. Um, Marguerite, what's your take on this? Do you agree? Do you think that we could be potentially too optimistic at the moment? I, I don't think we're being too optimistic because I think, um, like, as you said, the numbers in the studies show that it's relatively positive. Um, in Germany, many companies opted for what is called Kurz. Um, <laughs> not sure if my German accent is right, but it's basically um, the equivalent of what Chris mentioned in the UK, 
um, and it's short-term work to avoid layoffs. So in a nutshell, it allows companies to extend their cash runway by shortening the hours and days um, that employees work and thereby their salaries too for a temporary period of time um, if an external problem is harshly affecting the business. So that's what happened with COVID and some companies in our portfolio opted for this and have benefited from it uh, and therefore avoided layoffs. Uh, but now we're seeing things really picking up again. And this morning I was seeing on Twitter a travel perk um, that was saying that uh, even in the uh, business travel space, uh, they were seeing, uh, I think it was 69% of growth uh, week over week. Um, so I think it's definitely positive. Now we will have to see as well what happens in September. I think there's definitely a movement that we're seeing post lockdown uh, where people are, I think, quite eager to go back to a certain uh, economic activity. Um, I think some people also made savings during that period and with the whole social interactions picking up again and normal life picking up again, I think we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm around uh, economic activity picking up again. And maybe September might be a bit different. So uh, I think for me personally, I'm waiting to see what happens in September. Super. Yeah, it does sound like we're hearing a little bit of caution with regards to what's actually going to happen in September um, from quite a few uh, people in the ecosystem. But what was very interesting also was that we saw um, the mid-stage and Series B companies tended to be the ones that were the most hit. Uh, majority of layoffs took place for these companies. 95% of the companies in our survey that were in mid-stage Series B said they felt an impact, which was actually higher for earlier stage and later stage companies. Um, Pierre, why would it? Why would this be the case? Why would Series B be hit the hardest and not other stage companies? Yeah, it, it actually sounds quite logical because uh, more uh, later stage companies uh, have clients, <laughs> products, uh, revenues, so they have something to lose. And uh, they definitely uh, lost a part of it uh, during the crisis. This is why the, the support from the states uh, is useful. And uh, at the opposite, uh, when you are an, a seed stage company, the kind uh, we uh, at first are, are financing, uh, I, I will not say you don't care, but you care less because if you are if you're, uh, heads down building your product, talking to a few uh, potential customers, but not actual customers, it's actually not that bad. You don't have a revenue to you don't have a, you don't have a revenue to lose. So I, I can well understand why uh, series uh, series B uh, companies are the most uh, impacted. Even if uh, in France, so th there has been a lot of uh, support from the state also, maybe even more than uh, in the other countries because we have the the paid unemployment and we we have also the public loans. And uh, those loans are super large, like uh, hundreds of millions or even billions, uh, I don't know. And uh, it may, the, the, the consequence of that is uh, that it's practically impossible to die those days in, uh, in France. Uh, actually, I have in mind companies that were not good enough to raise before COVID and were, which were about to die. Uh, we, are now, uh, we now have uh, a, few, uh, a few more months or even years of runway. And uh, another side effect of that is that many startups that were planning to fundraise uh, before COVID uh, lent one or two million from the state and consequently decided to wait for a few months. So, yeah, 
without uh, 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 support from the state, it would have been super bad for uh, Series B companies in France. But with this support to date, I think it hasn't been so uh, disastrous. So that's a very, very interesting opinion because it's almost kind of a mixed government support, obviously targeted a lot Series B and the mid-stage that were suffering the most, but also in some cases, it sounds like what you're saying, extended a lifeline to companies that potentially shouldn't still be around. Um, I'm wondering if actually, Pierre, um, if Chris and Marguerite, you guys are feeling the same way about what was done in your countries. I don't know if it was exactly the same thing as what we had in France, uh, because it was a, a pretty generous package. Um, and then we also, I've, I've noticed that through the study and through the responses that we got, I noticed that we actually had some surprises. I discovered there was potentially some government support in the US, which I wasn't really aware about. Um, there was maybe a slow response from the government in Israel, which made it so that uh, startups there didn't really take advantage of it. Um, so I'm just wondering kind of what's the overall feeling with, with respect to government support, even though the entrepreneurs kind of told us overall it was positive. Is that really the way that you see it? So Marguerite, I'm going to start with you. I'm wondering what's the what's the... The, the whole situation in Germany? So I get, I mean, my situation is a bit um, special in the sense that I followed it from France uh, more than from Germany, but obviously the rest of the team was in Germany. I think overall it was very positive. And as I said, like a lot of our companies used the Kurzarbeit um, scheme uh, and that really, really helped avoiding them to just die during that period of time, uh, which is a, a problem that seed companies would have had to face, considering they can't rely so much on, as Pierre mentioned, for a Series B company, on actual customers and recurring revenue. So they have perhaps a bit less bandwidth. Um, so... I guess in Germany, it was um, definitely very helpful, the support that they received from the government. And also we've seen that COVID has been impacting the German country um, in a less meaningful way than in other European countries like the UK and France, I feel. I think it's also very much due to perhaps the culture and the way just like German people behave and have this kind of like civic um, behavior all, at all times, uh, which means that sometimes the government doesn't need to implement very harsh measures to make sure that everyone stays at home because German people would just more naturally uh, do that themselves proactively. But overall, I, I feel the, the government support were, was good. Then there's obviously more work to be done, but on, on topics that were um, very accurate pre-COVID, such as, you know, um, equity schemes, etc. And those are very much still at the center of conversations with the government, between the startup ecosystem and the government. Um, and actually, Christian Millet from um, eVentures, which is a former VC fund where I was uh, working before, is very active there. And those are topics that are still very, very important to the ecosystem. But COVID-related, I think it, it was good. Great. And Chris, I'm wondering if you have the same opinion or if you think uh, government support is essentially a lifeline for companies that should have died. <laughs> I think probably not in the case of the UK. So, I mean, just to step back for a second, as, as Marguerite kind of indicated, um, you know, the impact of COVID in the UK, sadly, has been pretty material. Um, you know, we're still in a position where, you know, I think I saw a statistic the other day where our daily death rate exceeds that of the entire EU. So we do still have a pretty significant problem. Um, I'm hopeful that the government is getting on top of it, but uh, it does look like potentially we went into lockdown a little bit too late. Um, 
obviously there will be varying opinions on that, but since it's still quite an issue here, um, that is definitely challenging, a little unclear whether there's going to be a, a sort of second spike um, in the autumn and, and how to prepare for that. So there's, there's quite a high degree of uncertainty. But specifically on the government support for companies, I think in the in the UK, the furlough scheme was very good. Uh, the furlough scheme undoubtedly protected millions of jobs, um, not just in startups, but, but across all different types of businesses. Um, and I think that is being carefully tapered down. So I think that is that has really helped. I don't think that's particularly um, supported bad companies staying in business. Um, so I think that's been, been fine. Um, I mean, the two other areas of support from the government have been loans, which aren't really applicable to the types of companies that we deal with at Playfair. So pre-seed and seed companies are generally not eligible. You have to be revenue generating for the loans. And then we had something called the Future Fund, uh, which is a matched funding scheme. So essentially the government will match uh, on a convertible uh, note on a 50-50 basis with uh, with investors. Um, that kind of had a mixed reception here. I think it's been a little bit challenging because it's not compatible with some of the main tax reliefs that drive uh, angel and some fund investing at the sort of pre-seed and seed stage. Um, but it, there have been a number of um, applications. I think they're being uh, processed um, now. So that has supported some companies. But I don't think there's been a sort of blanket funding scheme here that's been over generous that supported companies that shouldn't still be alive. Very interesting. Yeah, we've heard a lot about this uh, future fund. Um, and now I'm, I'm just wondering kind of some follow up comments um, specifically to Germany, because in the data that we received, we saw that German companies uh, actually were the, the worst hit. Uh, from the data that we had, we had the most layoffs, uh, the most companies planning to close, and also the fewest pivots. Um, and I'm wondering, I mean, this obviously could be that potentially German companies for our study were potentially later stage. But I'm wondering, Margaret, does this match uh, the reality that you've seen? I mean, I guess in terms of like, pivots and stuff, again, what we've seen in the company, in, in our portfolio, sorry, is the fact that... Um, everyone managed to put in place the necessary measures so that they didn't have to make major pivots. And so I think the major changes they had to put in place were really uh, having all eyes on cash and really making sure that they can extend their runway. Ideally, we were trying to make a scenario of a 24-month runway work for them. Um, otherwise, we would work around like a 12-month runway period. Um, but that really helped the company. So I guess in our portfolio specifically, we weren't in a position where we found a lot of our companies, you know, that were running short of cash and had to raise again during the COVID times and therefore had to do a pivot. All of them were pretty secure uh, cash-wise. So it was more a reorganization of that um, of those financial resources to make sure that it lasts longer than what uh, they had initially planned but there was no sense of urgency that required pivot um and i guess i can only come on for our portfolio uh, and and not really extend that to the whole country um but obviously then in the in the travel and in the hospitality space we've seen companies being very badly um hit uh, and there i guess um some companies might have considered pivoting it wasn't the case for our portfolio companies because, again, um, they weren't in an emergency situation when it comes to financial resources, uh, but it might have been the case for other companies in the country. 
Good. Well, sounds like a relatively healthy portfolio. <laughs> um, we we actually saw a lot of companies pivot, um, and, the, and the data suggests that the majority of them uh, changed go-to-market strategy. So actually, few of them changed. I think it was less than 10% made changes to product or to pricing. Um, and actually, almost as many companies as changed their go-to-market did nothing. Um, so I'm wondering, what do you guys make of this? So, Pia, I'm going to start with you. Well... Indeed, uh, I agree with you. I saw many companies uh, modify their marketing message and their go-to-market and uh, way less uh, modifying their actual product, which is normal because it's quite, uh, quite hard to modify a roadmap. But uh, on the marketing and go-to-market, st- uh, from the marketing standpoint, I think it actually can, I think it can actually be quite an opportunity because you have all those... Uh, remote work, work from home, and so on, uh, topics. And uh, it creates a lot of uh, new, interesting uh, problems. And uh, it creates both problems and a mindset of openness to new solutions. So uh, I think there are plenty, uh, there, there are plenty of uh, opportunities for companies that had a good product, but maybe not so good marketing and go-to-market to repurpose their, their product in this uh, post-COVID world. I'm actually quite excited to, to see what can happen. Yeah, I think we're, we're just starting to see some of the, the new ideas and the changes. So now I think we'll kind of shift the discuss, discussion properly to the changes that you have seen as investors. Um, many startups have asked us about the impact on funding. Our last episode of this podcast was specifically to talk about the changes in the VC space. We talked about uh, the impact on investment, remote investing, less deal flow. Uh, in in terms of our data, we had 47% of companies that said they're witnessing less VC availability, interest, or reactiveness. Uh, A large portion of our startups, and especially in the French market, say that they're changing their fundraising plans, meaning they're going to delay or seek alternative means of funding. Um, We also had, we didn't publish this number, but we had 18% of companies uh, say that they had a term sheet pulled as a direct result of COVID. So I'm wondering... What is the reality in terms of the in terms of the investment climate, uh, Chris? I'd love to hear what it looks like in the UK. Yeah, look, it, it's tough. I think um, you know what typically happens in in periods like this is there's a flight to quality. Um, so I think for the businesses that have you know that compelling mix of incredible founders, great market, great product, I'm, I'm still seeing some rounds being oversubscribed. But I think for companies that don't have the magic ingredients, it, it, it's really tough. And I think the way that I kind of explain this to founders is I say, look, it's always been bloody hard to raise money. It's probably two or three X harder now. So it's it's still really hard. So I don't think there's necessarily a reason to, to give up. And I think people can should just persist with their with their funding round. Um I think the way I kind of see that the market in the UK is that you know funds have kind of split into I think really three categories. You've got funds that are particularly distressed, um, either because of their exposure in their portfolio to companies that have been badly hit by COVID or because they've got LPs in distress or because they're worried about not being able to, to raise again. You've then got a kind of middle category of funds who are potentially some have had moratoriums, so they're actually not um, deploying money into new deals at all, either for three to six months. 
you know, we've got funds who are doing things actually pretty much as, as normal. Um, and thankfully, we're in we're in that category. So we're actually deploying at about the same rate we did last year. We've done a couple of deals fully remotely as well. But if you look at those three different categories, it, it's hard to say exactly what percentage you're in each. Um, but, but clearly, there is um, there is less capital in the market. And I think the thing that we're all thinking about right now is, you know, the pandemic is starting to uh, recite, I guess, you know, it's starting to reduce. Um, but is there going to be a recession and how big is that, is that going to be? So I think that is causing caution uh, when it comes to investment committees and, and risk appetite. Interesting. Marguerite, what's, what's the reality for you? Is it more remote deals, less deal flow? What does it look like from your end? So I think at the very beginning of the COVID period, we naturally saw much less deal flow. Uh, and we were really focusing on the portfolio. So the bandwidth of everyone in the investment team was really uh, taken and, and prioritized for portfolio companies. I think deal flow is really picking up again now. Uh, we've also, um, I mean, we are in the process right now of closing um, two deals uh, fully remote as well. So like the activity is still there. Um, I agree with Chris in the sense that it's definitely going to be three to five uh, X times harder to raise money now. But I think there's also part of it which can be quite healthy for the ecosystem as well, in the sense that we know there was a lot of money in the market already. Uh, valuations were going a bit crazy. We're still seeing a lot of uh, competitiveness on the deals, like even the deals that we are in the process of closing right now, we're really highly competitive. Um, but I think we're also going to see a generation of entrepreneurs emerge now uh, where entrepreneurs are really passionate about what they're building and really wanting to change the world. And I think other entrepreneurs that might be more either lifestyle entrepreneurs or just, you know, being attracted to the tech ecosystem just because um, it's interesting and hot right now, but maybe not for the right reasons. I think we're going to see a that rebalancing a little bit. But I'm very confident that we're going to see pretty stellar founders and companies emerge out of those times. And uh, as Pierre mentioned earlier as well, I think there are a lot of opportunities that are emerging as well from, from this very unique situation. Um, and we're seeing consumer and um, companies' behaviors changing, uh, but also opening new opportunities. Wonderful. I, I love that kind of positive note of we're going to really see passionate entrepreneurs uh, coming through now. Uh, Pierre, what, what's your take? Yeah, uh, I agree with uh, everything that has been said. And maybe uh, I wanted to emphasize the, the fact that there is still a lot of money on the market, like a lot. Uh, and uh, it will most likely be even more important in the future, considering uh, all the money printing by the central banks. So uh, there is and there will be money on the market. Every uh, Most VC funds uh, have a lot of dry powder and uh, they need to do something with that. So th there may be indeed a flight to quality uh, phenomenon. But if you're building something that matters uh, with a strong team, it's it's very likely that uh, you will find uh, you will find money, and uh, we we are also uh, involved in a few um, in a few investments currently that are quite competitive. So uh, uh, I feel the same than than uh, what Margaret was saying. 
And I think with the end, um, with the with the crisis from 2008, we kind of saw the rise of, you know, social economy and uh, the whole wave of Airbnb-like services coming out. Are you guys already starting to get a hint of a new uh, trend in the ecosystem, some new kind of product or industry trends that we might see as the effect of COVID? Yeah, actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of convinced that uh, this uh, COVID thing will... Uh, will have an, an impact of a comparable, comparable size to uh, of a size comparable to what was uh, the first iPhone on the App Store. Uh, a lot, so the App Store uh, created the opportunity for hundreds of or thousands of new companies to be new companies to be created. Everything was to was to be built, and um, it's kind of the same uh, momentum currently, because in my opinion, because. Uh, this uh, remote work thing, even if remote work uh, only represents in the future like 10 or 15 percent of the whole workforce, uh, it has impact everywhere uh, on every single aspect of uh, how companies work. And uh, you really have to build hundreds of new products to adapt to this new reality. So remote work is a bit uh, an easy one, but I think it's a strong one. Margaret, Chris, do you both agree? You think uh, remote work is an opportunity as big as the iPhone? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, when even just like looking at what our portfolio companies are focusing on right now, it's definitely a key priority for them, really understanding, okay, how do we balance it? Um, in some and in, in many instances, actually, um, they're looking for healthy and um, a good balance between physical interactions, to make sure there's still a live, lively culture, I guess, um, but also a permanent remote work setup. Like a friend of mine told me his company asked him not to come back to the office be before March 2021. And so we're clean, clearly seeing a long-term trend here. Um, and it unlocks a lot of opportunities in the productivity space and in everything that touches on the future of work. Um, so we're definitely spending a lot of time uh, looking at the different sub-segments in those uh, spaces. Um, and I think it's, it's uh, I agree with Pierre, it's probably going to have a tremendous impact on social lives, business lives, and, and just lifestyle, generally speaking. Well, I'm going to end on this topic because I think you guys have directed the, the conversation perfectly towards these new ways of working, remote working. Everybody has gone crazy about working from home and giving up their offices and Silicon Valley is having an existential crisis about whether or not they'll be the epicenter of everything in a remote working world. Um, but I was pretty surprised to see with the data that we got, only actually not even 10% of companies were considering going full remote. Uh, we did have 47% of companies say that they plan to increase the amount of remote staff, but actually 20% of companies said they plan to make no change at all, which I just found incredible. I, I didn't get that impression at all from what we're reading and what we're talking about. So I'm wondering, is remote and this whole craze about remote talk just a fad? Chris? Yeah, look, I don't think it's a fad, but... Um... I don't know about everyone else, but I, I miss the office. I don't miss the commute, um, but I miss the office because, you know, spending time face to face with your team and, and with founders that we're potentially going to invest in or founders we have invested in, um, you know, really good things happen that don't tend to happen remotely. You get these kind of uh, spontaneous conversations, serendipity works. 
Uh, it's the reason a lot of offices, you know, went to open plan and they created kind of water and food stations where people naturally mix together. So I think the, the sort of the death of the office and this idea will all work from home forever is, is definitely overstated. I think we probably are entering a new era, though, this kind of hybrid era where you know people will work remotely for a period of time. They'll come to an office or a central place to, to meet up. Um, and I think each company is going to optimize that, you know, for their individual company. And typically different teams work better remote and in the office. So traditionally tech teams work great remotely, um, often internationally and across borders, which I think is an emerging trend in itself. Um, you know, sales teams often are better working together because you get a kind of competitive spirit going and uh, there's some camaraderie. So I, I think uh, this pandemic has um, shown us what is possible with work, remote working. I think it's got rid of some of the stigma that people just don't work when they're at home. So I think that is all positive and I'm sure we will do more remote working. Um, but I still think offices have a place in the world. It's just going to be about finding out what that balance is. Wonderful. All right, everyone. It's been great having you with us. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to give us many, many stars. And if you have any feedback or want to suggest a topic for the future, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. And finally, make sure to follow us and not miss out on our next podcast episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google Podcasts. All right, everyone. See you soon.